The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and 1077 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's uh, been an exciting week this week. Uh, first of all, Apple is launching a new uh, privacy change, which they've announced, and it is freaking out Facebook. <laughs> and this week, Main Street social media took on Wall Street and really threw those short sellers through a loop. It is an interesting yeah. story how that came about. Fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. The uh, we'll give you the tip of the week: an undo and redo trick with uh, with the Windows machine. And somebody again used AI to create uh, fake blog posts, fake comments, and they submitted them to the government for comments. And the government staff folks couldn't tell the fake ones from the real ones. It's going to become an an ongoing problem. And uh, and the dumb idea of the week, I don't know if I'll get to it in the show, some guy hooked a chastity belt to the internet and then it was hacked. A chastity belt? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sad story. Why? I but think we need to make sure there's time for that story. It's a sad, sad story, but a very interesting one and definitely the dumb idea of the week. This week we're going to feature Elon Musk. He, of course, is the founder of SpaceX. He's the CEO of Tesla. He's the founder of the Boring Company and many other initiatives. He's an interesting, interesting guy. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Got, uh, we got an email just a minute here, pulling it over here. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. On the 23rd of January, you covered a patent by Microsoft where they want to create a chat bot where we could talk to our loved ones. That reminded me of a uh, Dimensions in Testimony project that was covered on CBS earlier this year. Aging Holocaust survivors were interviewed in preparation uh, of the movie uh, Schindler's List. The USC Shoah Foundation turned those interviews into a an AI knowledge base that could be used to allow future generations to virtually ask individuals questions about their experiences and to see and hear their responses. This is a lot like that uh, chatbot project that Microsoft has. The Holocaust advisors were enthusiastic about the possibility of sharing their experiences in this way. Thanks for a great informative show, Susan and Alexandria. Susan, I think this is a great application for that chatbot where you use words from somebody who's deceased to share with future generations. And I think in this particular instance, 
It handled the ethical issues we talked about last week because the survivors themselves gave permission for this to be done and they were supporters of it. So I think it's a perfect application and I think the ethics are right in line. Good. Thanks for that. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the ever-present Mr. Big Voice, I discovered a new Alexandria security feature that I was unaware of. It's called Alexa Guard Plus. It listens for intruders and it even barks at them when they come <laughs> in the house. <laughs> That's great. Now, now, by default, all Echoes have Alexa Guard, and that will listen for uh, for sharp, for broken glass or smoke alarms. But it doesn't have barking, and it won't it won't notify you. It will just uh, and it won't uh, it won't scream at the intruder. Uh, but it is a feature that they have now. The Alexa Guard Plus is kind of nice because it has uh, a lot of features that will it gives you it, it will notify uh, you know emergency personnel. It'll notify the police. All that's built into the service now. The one deal that it has, Bob, is uh, the Guard Plus is $5 a month. And, uh, you know, while it's a nice idea, I don't think I'd want to pay $5 a month for that. Now, uh, oh, Bob also goes on to talk about uh, this, the use of facial recognition software that can predict whether you're a Democrat or Republican just by your face alone. <laughs> so what do you think of that, Doc? <laughs> well... I looked at that. I mean, I'd read about it, and it's it, the the accuracy is about sixty five percent. So it's not really that no. good. I mean, a random guess would be fifty percent accuracy. It's kind of and like so the, about sixty five percent. It's kind of like the accuracy percentage uh, on uh, snow forecasts. Yeah, that's right. It is prop. <laughs> it's similar to that. Now it uses, in addition, just the face. It uses other clues, like are you wearing a hat? Are you wearing an ear a ring in your ear? Do you have, have a face a, a tattoo? Beard? What kind of clothes do you have on? So it uses these kind of clues uh, in addition to just your face. I'm skeptical about this. I don't think it's really going to work. And, and maybe all these other clues uh, are as significant, whether you're a Dem or a Republican, than, and or how you're dressing might be uh, as significant as your face. If you're holding but, a sign for your mugshot, does that uh, add to clues as to whether or not— <laughs> Yeah, that that could be it. I think the real danger of of facial recognition software is if they link it up to webcams that are around everywhere, they link it up yeah. to social media, and all of a sudden, you are identified anywhere, anytime, yeah. Yeah. and you've got almost no, no privacy. I think that's a real issue there. Uh, we got an email from uh, uh, Susan in Alexandria, another one. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. On January 23rd, your tip of the week told me that I should uninstall my Facebook application and simply go to Facebook using my uh, the browser that's built into my uh, to my cell phone. Well, I was easily I was very I was easily able to uninstall Facebook from my Samsung tablet, but I had a problem with my Motorola phone. When I would try to disable Facebook, I would either uh, I would I would a screen would come up that would say disable it or uh, or block it, but but I couldn't uninstall it. Uh, what do you suggest? Well, Susan, even in 2019, you will still find plenty of phones with Facebook pre-installed, 
And what's worse, even some of these phones install it as a system app. Wow. And you cannot uninstall it unless you have root access. Now, Facebook paid for that. And Motorola took that money and stuck you with the, with the Facebook app. Now, you can't delete the app, but you can disable it permanently. So basically, what you want to do is you just, uh, you know, you, you basically, you know, go to settings and then, and then select apps. And you choose the Facebook app that you want. And you'll, there will be two buttons. One will be disable. One will be force stop, as you said. Just click on disable. And you won't have to do that every time. Once you've disabled it, it's, it's disabled permanently. Now, some of them have been so sneaky, some of the phones, that they won't let you disable it. It's grayed out. And so then you've got to go to a third-party app, which will, an app disabler, which you can buy for these phones, app disablers, and they're like two, $2.95. They work most of the time, but not all the time. I'm hoping that since the disable button was there, you can just disable your Facebook account, and then you'll be good to go. We got an email from Dennis in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a thousands of family pictures that I've copied onto an external hard drive. I took that external hard drive, I locked it up in a fireproof lockbox. My question is, how long will they last on that hard drive? Will my grandchildren or children be able to access those files in 10 or 20 years, or even further in the future? Dennis in Pittsburgh. Well, Dennis, I'm afraid to answer your, that the answer to your question is no. That's not going to be good forever. Hard drives store data magnetically on a specially coated metal platter. And there are several types of issues that, that could occur that would prevent them from accessing it. And over time, the magnetic alignment, you know, gradually fades away. So it's not permanent. Now, your best course of action is to make many copies of those photos. I mean, you might copy them to writable DVDs because they're actually written. It's not magnetic, and, that, and a DVD is more permanent. You could make multiple external hard drives or USB flash drives. The key to this is multiple, multiple, multiple. Put them in many places. Then if these are really valuable photos, I would just make these uh, either USB drives or external hard drives or DVDs, and I'd send them out to your grandchildren, your nieces right now. So they've got them. Because the key is the more people that have it, the less chance it is they'll be lost. Uh, if you've got one hard drive, um, I mean, the hard drive may stop working. Uh, the, uh, the materials, the magnetic materials might become less. You might get errors in the hard drive over time. Uh, somebody could steal your, uh, steal your safe and you'd have nothing. So you really want to have multiple copies. Now, here's the thing. Once your grandkids get these hard drives, about every you know five years, they're, they're going to want to copy it to, to a new hard drive because standards change. And hard drives drift away. Or you could use what I do. I use cloud storage. And um, that's, you know, I've, I've got my stuff stored in, on two different cloud accounts. And that seems to be pretty pretty good. And then I've got an external hard drive at the house. But uh, if these are important, put them in multiple places. We got an email from Cheryl in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, is there any way to prevent somebody from stealing the photos I've posted on my Facebook account? Well, Cheryl, no. Once you put them <laughs> up there. They can be stolen by anybody. Now, you could actually uh, 
limit the photos to your friends only instead of to everyone. In that case, only your friends could see the photos and they would not be able to share the photo on somebody else's timeline because it's the photo can only be seen by friends. On the other hand, they could save the photo to their own hard drive and they could post it anywhere. Uh, they, and then they could take a safe photo and they could post it on somebody else's timeline who's not your friend. So the fact is, once it's on the internet, it's out of control. And anybody could steal it. Anybody could steal it at the who's who has access to it and use it for whatever purpose they want. Now, if you really want to be safe, you could say this photo can only be seen by me, and then nobody else can see it. But on the other hand, what's the point of that? <laughs> nobody can see it except right. you. Why even post it? <laughs> we got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I like the idea of using free software whenever I can. But I but you know, I'm always worried about viruses, and, and I want to make certain that I've got good antivirus software. And I'd like to know, because you talk a lot about free antivirus software, is the free antivirus software as good as the paid antivirus software? Well, Jim, the short answer is yes, it is as good. Uh, as, it's as good as the, as the paid, uh, paid anti-software is. In a recent head-to-head -head test, the free version of Avast, A-V-A-S-T antivirus, outperformed all of the other antivirus products they tested, and that included the, the major name brand antivirus programs. Now, it's true if you pay for it, you get a bunch of bells and whistles and other stuff, but, but for the core task of detecting viruses, uh, the free is just as good as the as the paid. So I would recommend that you just use the free version of Avast and protect your computer. We got an email from Hawk and Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I've heard that scammers are cloning Facebook accounts. Is there any way that I can stop that? I've got many pictures and comments on my Facebook account and I don't want it. I do not want it uh, cloned. This is a worry, Hawk and Bowie. Well, account cloning hawk is where, uh, as you know, is where uh, a scammer creates a completely new Facebook account. They, they don't hack your account. They complete, they take a com make a completely new Facebook account. They populate it with your photos and personal information that they've copied from your real account. Now, uh, that means that all the information that you that you shared with everyone, just not with friends, because they're they're actually not going to have they're not going to be able to see things that uh, that uh, that only friends can see because they're not a friend. But a lot of people share with everybody, make their account public so they can copy all, all that material. Then what they like to do, they copy your friends list. And then once they've set up this new account that looks like you, they invite all your friends to be friends with the new account. Now, your friends go and they look at the account. It looks like you. It's your stuff. They think it's you. They just think you've moved to a new account. And they become friends with the hacker. Once he befriends all of your friends, that's when the scam begins. Asking for money, asking for help, asking for donations, whatever it is. And all of those requests your friends think are coming from you. Now, the way to make your account less appealing to a cloning person, somebody who's going to clone it, is to hide your friends list. You make it private so they can't see who your friends are. And if they don't know 
who to scam if they don't know who to befriend, they don't have your friends, uh, they're, they're probably not going to clone your account. So what you want to do is you just simply log on to your Facebook account, click the friends link, then there are three dots just to the right of the find friends, three, just to the right of find friends, you click on those three dots, and then you'll click on edit privacy, and then, you, then you'll come to something, who can see your friends list, and you put down only me. So if anybody goes to your Facebook page, they can't see your friends list, and I'm telling you, Nobody's going to clone your account if they can't see your friends. Listen, we love your emails. We do. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and also it's going to be uh, heard on uh, these other frequencies, 103.9 FM HD2 to the north and west, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County, southwest of D.C. on 107.7 FM. HD2. We'll be back with more Tech Talk in just a minute. Technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Elon Reeve Musk. Elon Musk, he calls himself an engineer. He's best known as co-founder of PayPal, founder of SpaceX, early investor and CEO of Tesla. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT. And Sorry about that. We're trying to work on the board company. here. <laughs> Are we back, Jim? We're back. You were never gone. You were just being battled for the airwaves. It's okay. fixed. It's fixed. Elon Musk was born June 28, 1971, in Pretoria, South Africa. Now, his parents divorced in 1980, and Musk lived mostly with his father during that time. But he wanted to move and be with his mother, who was uh, a Canadian citizen. So um, he, he stayed with his father. He, he graduated from uh, Pretoria Boys High School in South Africa. At age 10, 
is when he really got interested in computers. Uh, his dad bought him a VIC-20 Commodore computer, a Commodore VIC-20. I remember that. It was a big box. I, I, I looked at that Commodore VIC-20. I couldn't afford one. But he bought one at age 10, and he started programming. He just got a computer manual, and he just started learning programming language from the manual. He wrote his first program in BASIC. It was a game called Blaster. He wrote it at age 12. At age 12, he wrote a complete video game, Blaster, all in, it was in BASIC. So it's a very, it's, it's the most basic programming language. And he actually sold that program to a technology magazine, the PC and Office Technology Magazine, for $500. So at age 12, he earned his first dollar, his first money in technology, selling that program for 500. Now he was uh, introverted. You wouldn't, you wouldn't really think that now. And he was a little bit awkward as a child and he was bullied at school. I mean, he was once hospital hospitalized because a group of boys threw him down a flight of stairs. He was always, uh, he, he just didn't really fit into high school. He was a little bookish in a way. And um, his mom, at, you know, at age five, she, she could tell that uh, Elon was uh, a genius, but she didn't know whether he would be a genius in the basement and never get out of the house or whether he would actually be successful in doing something. She, she wasn't sure how that would play out. Well, it turned out he got out and he was successful. Now, he attended the Woodluff House Preparatory School and then the Byerston High School before he went into Pretoria's Boys High School. He moved to Canada finally in 1989. He got there. He lived with a cousin in Saskatchewan, and he was, uh, really couldn't get into co college right away. So he, for a year, he worked in odd jobs at a farm and lumber mill, just, just picked up whatever work he could get. Finally, in 1990, he entered Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, he then transferred to the University of Pennsylvania, where he graduated in 1997 with a Bachelor of Science in Economics from the Wharton School and a Bachelor of Arts ah, in Physics from University of Pennsylvania. So he was already he's, kind of moving into technology back then. He's your kind of guy. He is my kind of guy. Uh, in the summer, he, he interned out in Silicon Valley. He had a couple of internships out there. He worked for Pinnacle Research Institute. That was a startup that made batteries, energy storage devices. That's kind of a precursor of where he would end up with Tesla. And then he worked at a startup, Rocket Sciences Games, uh, you know, because he could write games. It's, but the name sort of indicates, well, maybe he's going to be interested in rockets, as we now know he is. But uh, he, he did a couple. He interned out there at Silicon Valley. Uh, and then in, uh, after he got his uh, bachelor's degree, he, you know, he, moved to he moved to California, and he, en and he enrolled in a, in a Ph.D. program out there. And uh, uh, he went to class for two days. And he dropped out. He said, you know, <laughs> this just sucks. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and work on this PhD. <laughs> so he, he dropped out of school and he co-founded a company with his brother 
and, and a friend, Greg Corey. His brother was Kimball. They co-founded Zip2, Z-I-P, the number two, Zip2. And they got funds from angel investors out there. And, uh, and, they, and they've created an internet city guide for publishers. So, so like a publisher or a newspaper or a magazine might want to have a city guide as part of their website, and and they would create the city guide for the for the local city, and and then the the local publisher could use that, you know, you know, to to find another venue for advertising, and and they were actually quite uh, quite successful with Zip too. They they actually, uh, but you know it, but when he started it, they had just no money at all. I mean, they only had one computer. This was the problem. They only had one computer. Elon did not have enough money to, 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 to rent an apartment. So he slept on the couch in the office. Uh, and he'd go down to the YMCA to shower. I mean, that was how he lived. Oh, man. <laughs> and they only had one computer. So he would code every night. And then during the day, they would use the computer for, for business, you know, to make phone calls, do their deals. And he would code at night. And so they they shared one computer for the business. It was a real shoestring operation. Zip2 started getting contracts. I mean, they got they got a couple of big ones. They, they got a contract with the New York Times, and then they got a contract with the Chicago Tribune. So once they hit the big time with those newspapers, they were on a roll, and they started getting more and more and more accounts. In 1999, just... Four years after they started it, they sold Zip2 to Compaq Computer for $307 million in cash. That's not bad, That's is not it, bad. Jim? It's a good payday. Yeah. Now, Musk had – at that point, Musk had 7% of the company because, remember, they had angel investors starting it up. He had 7% of the company, and he received $22 million payday when they sold the company. I'll take it. That's not bad, you know? So in March of 1999, he started another company, uh, X.com. It was they were doing financial services there, X.com, and it was an email payment company. He took ten million dollars from his Zip2 proceeds and started X.com. Uh, and he, he he felt the banking industry needed to be innovated, needed to be updated. He thought the banks were not internet savvy enough. And so he wanted to have an online payment program. And so he started that. And then one year later, they merged with Confinity, which was another company that was attempting to do online payments, but they didn't have as good a technology as Elon Musk had, but they had more customers. And they had a money transfer service called PayPal. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? Yeah, right. After the, the company merged, after the companies merged, they changed the name to PayPal in 2001. Now, they they worked on this, uh, you know, building up PayPal, and it was a huge success. It was a major success. I mean, uh, Elon was initially the CEO, but, you know, he's kind of a hard guy to get along with at times. So they, his friends fired him as CEO uh, about a year later. They just couldn't, they just couldn't take it, but he was able to build a strong tech base there at PayPal in October, 2002, 
which was uh, just three years after he got, made his, started his company, X.com, they sold PayPal for $1.5 billion wow. to eBay. Mm. Elon Musk had 11.7% of PayPal. His payday, $165 million. Mm. And this was all in the matter of, you know, less than five years. He's starting from nothing up to $165 million. Now, the thing about Elon, he has a dream. He dreams big. He thought that we needed to set up a greenhouse on Mars in order to save humanity when the Earth is overrun with people and Do pollution. they get enough sun on Mars to grow stuff? Yeah, well, there's enough sun up there, but water could be the issue. That could be an so, issue too, yes. So he proposed the Mars Oasis, which would be a greenhouse on Mars to save mankind. Now, in order to get there, he's, you know, he's going to have to, uh, you know, have a rocket. So he went to Russia twice to try to buy some old ICBMs. You know, because Russia, you know, in the arms race, they had extra ICBMs laying around. So I went to Russia twice to, to buy these IC, ICBMs. And uh, these guys in Russia laughed at him. They said, what? How are you going to, you know, launch a rocket? How are you going to go to space? You don't know anything. They just made fun of him. So he came back and he says, well, guys, you can make all the fun you want. I'm going to start my own space company. So he started Space Exploration Technologies Corporation, which trades as SpaceX. Mm -hmm. He used $100 million of his own money. Remember, he'd just gotten $165 million on the, from eBay when they sold PayPal. He took $100 million of the 165 and used it to start SpaceX back in 2002. I mean, this is an audacious goal, That's just starting a space company. Pretty bold move. It is. So he started working on it, and what he, uh, he, you know, right away he realized I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some government funding. So he started bidding on some of the ISS uh, International Space Station contracts, uh, because remember, back in the day, they had gotten rid of the space shuttle, and they and they and they were going to try to use the private sector right. to actually provide transportation to and from the space shuttle. So he got in on that deal, and uh, and and they they wanted uh, two providers, and of course they had the they had the normal triumvirate there of the uh, aerospace people that were just everything was expensive, and they and NASA had been using them for years, so they kind of liked to say, well, let's get an upstart here. So so they awarded two contracts for in order to uh, for the for crew and cargo resupply. Uh, you know, this crew and cargo resupply to contract to the ISS, he, uh, that was in 2006. So he won one of the two contracts. In 2008, he got $1.6 billion for the commercial resupply services program. And so they started building, building rockets to support that. In 2011, he got the contract for the Dragon 2, which was the, uh, the the capsule that would take humans up to the International Space Station in 2011, and he got funding for that. Now, Elon Musk's goal was to reduce the cost of space flight by a factor of 10. Um, if, you, if you look at, you know, if you're going to send people to, to Mars, you're going to send them around, at the current cost of going into space, it wasn't practical. 
he had to reduce it by a factor of 10. And the other people in the aerospace industries, they, they had no interest in it. And so he said, look, the most expensive thing in the space, when you do a space launch, is the booster, stage one. And then we just throw it away. It just goes out to the ocean, it sinks. So he had the audacious idea, hey, why don't we just reland stage one and save it? And people thought he was had rocks in his head. They laughed at him. <laughs> <laughs> and the first four or five attempts were spectacular failures. They were blowing up, crashing on the ground. But finally, after the sixth time, well, he did it. He 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 landed it back on the space bed. And then they had another, they had a drone, uh, but uh, they had a drone ship that they would send out in the water if it was going to be too far from land. And he, and he successfully landed on the drone. I mean, he had a few failed attempts on the drone, but he, he finally got to land on the drone. And that substantially reduced the cost of launch. So he started then offering a launch service, commercial launch service, and he could underbid everybody. He became the number one launch service in the world because he could outcompete on price. Now, in 2018, they came up with the Falcon Heavy, which was a, which was a big, uh, really a big rocket and a big engine. And, uh, and the, because what he wanted to do, his goal is to get to Mars in 20 years. And he wants to have a rocket and a spaceship big enough to do that. So he started working on it back then. Now, in 2015... He said, look, we, we got this whole internet problem around the world. We, we, don't, we, we don't have good internet access in Africa. We don't have, we don't, their remote areas don't have good internet access. So he says, well, why don't I just create a constellation of low earth orbiting satellites? And we'll maybe have like uh, a few thousand of them up there. And I'll just provide internet access to the whole world. Another audacious idea. <laughs> so he started working on that in 2015. And uh, he's, it will take him 10 years to launch all those satellites, and the total cost will be about $10 billion to do it. But he's already doing it. I mean, he's got uh, maybe 1,000 up there now. Mm -hmm. And so he, he's going to provide Internet access to the world. I mean, another audacious dream that looks like it's going to happen. Now, in May of 2020, he, they, they launched their first manned flight to the, to the International Space Station, Demo 2. It was a big success, and he did it. Now, that was one dream of his, was to, you know, get to Mars in a cost-effective way. His second dream is to save the world and to reduce our carbon emissions. That's a pretty lofty goal. Yeah, and so he said, look, we've got to have electric cars. So he, there, was this comp there was a small company called Tesla that was making uh, electric cars back then. He didn't start it, but two other guys started it. And he was uh, an early investor, so he invested money there. And then he led the Series A round investment in Tesla. And uh, then he became chairman of the board of Tesla after he led that round of financing. And that was in 2004. By 2008, he had already engineered their first car because he basically is an engineer, a designer. And he became CEO of the company. And the, and the chief product architect of the company by 2008. They built their first electric sports car, the Tesla Roadster, in 2008. They had sales of about 2,500 vehicles, and they sold them in 31 countries. Then they started delivering their Model S in 2012. 
The, uh, then they had the Model X, was launched in September 2015. Then, of course, he had to do the whole Gigafactory thing, so he made a Gigafactory for making batteries in Reno, Nevada, and now the Giga One factory produces 35 gigawatt hours per year of batteries. Then in 2019, he opened another Gigafactory for batteries in Shanghai. In 2016, he started doing the autopilot, which, uh, you know, uh, they originally had teamed up with Mobileye, and Mobileye's technology was failing, so they just dumped Mobileye, started doing the autopilot on their own. Uh, in 2019, they, really, they revealed the Cybertruck, which would be a, uh, you know, an all-electric truck, semi-trailer truck. And so uh, now, by 2020, Tesla is the most valuable car company in the world. Jeez. And Model 3, Tesla Model 3, is the best-selling electric car in the world. They sold 500,000 units in uh, 2020. It's amazing. It is. Now, Elon Musk owns about 28 million shares of Tesla. That's about 22% of the company. Now, he did a lot of other things, which I can't get into too much. I mean, he did Solar City. Then he did Neuralink. Uh, Solar City was basically solar cells for the for the house. Neuralink, where you hook, hook where you can plug a computer into your brain. Then he worked on Hyperloop because he got tired of traffic jams. And he says, look, why don't we just dig tunnels? And go underground. So he started the boring company for that. And he just keeps moving on and on and on with new ideas, new ideas, new ideas. He started a company, OpenAI, because he thinks that AI should not be controlled by the big companies and he wants it to be open source. He's afraid of AI. Now, in 2020, Musk became the richest person in the world with a net worth of $185 billion. Mm. But he really doesn't care about money. If you ask him, he just says, I'm an engineer. He sold all of his houses, and he just lives a simple life. He loves to invent. So there you go. Everything you wanted to know about Elon Musk. So a couple of fun facts. We figured out what uh, Elon, his first name, means. It's a Hebrew word, which means oak tree. Oh, so, nice to so know. We didn't know that. And did you know that Musk's mother, May Musk, is a Canadian model, and she's the oldest woman, woman ever to star in a CoverGirl campaign? Wow. So there you go. That now now that's everything you ever wanted to know about Elon Musk. Perfect. There you go. Thank you, Jim, for that. Here to help. It is Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2. You can also hear us southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD2, northwest of the area, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I like really how love you were, all, your, all your applause. I like how you were savoring the applause there. Oh, I just love it. You know, of course, uh, earlier in the show, I was talking about Elon Musk as part of the classroom of the airways, mm-hmm. and I would like to test whether our class has been listening. Yes. Now, he made $500 in his, as a, for the, at the first computer program that he wrote. So, at what age did he write that computer program, or what was the name of that computer program? Either uh, went, either answer works. Okay. Today's question will now is your chance to pick up the phone, show us just how smart you are. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're installing your portable weather station east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're about to splash on some English leather musk, in Canada. Call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly with English leather musk. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Mr. Big well, Voice is the punster today, isn't he? Uh, he certainly, he certainly is. Well, listen, I think I'm just going to have to get to the dumb idea of the week, Jim. I think you should. I, I did. This guy, Sam Summers, connected his chastity belt to the Internet. (laughs) Sam Summers was sitting at home. This is a kind of a funny story, and it tells you the you really got to watch out for these hackers. Funny, funny if you're not private parts wrapped in an Internet connected chastity cage. And then he got a weird message that said they've taken control of his cage. And they will not release him unless he sends them $1,000 in Bitcoin. <laughs> now, immediately, he thought his girlfriend was playing a trick on him. So he called her. She said, no. She was supposed to be the one controlling it. She says, no, I, I don't have any access to it anymore. It's gone. So then he thought, oh, my goodness, these guys have hacked it. Well, it turned out that Summers is one of several people who purchased this device last year, Cellmate by Qui, Q-I-U-I, a a Chinese-based manufacturer. And it turned out that uh, someone had released uh, analysis of this device, and Qui had left open one of the application program interfaces, APIs, which made it very easy to hijack a device. 
So somebody with that information started hijacking these devices. And so he sent them $1,000 and they said, well, okay, now we want more money. <laughs> so, he said, <laughs> so he said, well, this isn't going anywhere. So it turned out at home, he had a, uh, he, he, uh, he, he, he was, uh, he had, he had a, he had a hammer. <laughs> oh, he had, he no. had a hammer and he had a bolt cutter. And, uh, and so he managed to cut this thing off his private part, uh, with only suffering minor, minor injury. He was bleeding a little bit, but not too bad. <sighs> now, if you, these devices, you can go to qiui.store. I won't. They're $169, these devices. I mean, so Why? that is the dumb idea of the week. Why would you buy one of these things in the first place? Is it because uh, his girlfriend didn't trust him? I Maybe. Maybe it's just a game they play. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't want to go there. They, they, now, now the thing is, Jim, I went to that. I, they said they're sold out. They only have two sizes, long and short, and they're sold out. <laughs> we've taken this topic as far as we can i think we can certainly move on exactly. yes please by all means you know what why don't we do this andrew is heading toward the door now with the information thank you andrew we do have somebody who'd like to play the game oh excellent let's go to line two this is janet who's calling us from washington janet good morning how are you good morning i'm fine good Doc, Thank go ahead and ask the question, yep, please. Earlier in the show, I talked about Elon Musk, and of course, he made his first $500 uh, selling a computer program. At what age did he do that, or, or what was the name of the program? He was age 12, and it was called Black. Very good. Ooh. Unfortunately, Excellent. there's no extra credit here, Janet. <laughs> there's one prize, and you got to wait for the, oh, well. the, the dining rooms to reopen. <laughs> Have you been listening to yes. us for long? I don't I don't recognize your your name here on our roster. Yes, I've been listening for about 6 months and I really really like the um history part. Oh, Love that's that. great. Great. How did you find us yeah. by 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 uh just by out of curiosity? I can't remember. Ah. Oh, good. Well, we're glad you did. Thank you for listening and thanks for checking in this morning on Tech Talk Radio. Doc, I think because of the time and because let's you have just, so much other stuff to talk about, on. let's just continue on. Okay, Jim, uh, uh, billions of cicadas are set to merge in the U.S. What? this year. You're kidding me. Billions of them. It turns out that Wait they a come minute. up every I think they're here early. Years. They're here early, Doc. Look out, oh, Doc. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. What they do, these cicadas burrow underground when they're babies and they suck fluids from the roots of plants as they grow. And then after 17 years, they come up and they fly around. Now, the last such event happened in 15 states, including New York, Ohio, Illinois, Georgia, in 2004. That was 17 years ago. Now, cicadas won't harm people, but if pets eat too many of them, they may become ill. Now, but they're loud. I mean, a, yeah. a male... It, when they're doing their mating call, can be as loud as a hundred decibels. <laughs> they basically do these songs by vibrating two rigid drum-like membranes on the underside of their abdomen. Now, let me tell you why this is significant to me, Jim. Why is 2004 this? Because you won't be able to sleep. Was the year that Gmail came out. Ah. And back then, 
you could only get a Gmail account from one of the Google employees. Mm -hmm. And they were not publicly available. So I posted on a forum that was read by Gmail employees that I would, if they would give me a Gmail account, I would send them a gift wrap package of chocolate-covered cicadas. I remember this. Made by my culinary department. And so somebody from uh, Google contacted me, and I bundled up 24 chocolate-covered cicadas, put them in dry ice, and shipped them out to California, and I got my Gmail account back in 2004. That's why these cicadas are so near and dear to my heart. I do remember that. Doc, let us not forget this. We need to make sure that we do this today. Observations from the bunker. Open sesame. Yeah. Yeah. Open sesame. Now, All right. yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about how Elon Husk Musk <laughs> hires <laughs> hires hires people uh, when he because he wants to get engineers that are that are good inventors. So what he did when he uh, when he uh, was advertising for people for the Gigafactory in Berlin, he said, mm-hmm. "Send me your resume and describe a few of the hardest problems that you solved and explain exactly." how you solve them. Now, this was very clever. That is. He got it in writing. And and you really want to test people's writing skills because you got to be able to communicate in this day and age of, you know, online communication, presentations, email, and everything else. Secondly, he asked for multiple examples. I mean, somebody may have one example, but, uh, but multiple examples. And what's interesting, just... If somebody says this is really a hard problem, it sort of gauges their capacity and what they're interested in. So the selection of problems is really interesting. And the reason he talks about the hardest problem, talking to superlatives, because when you're trying to look at the top one or two percent of people, you, you differentiate them by how hard of a problem they'd work on. Then finally, he wanted to see the thought process he would go through on how they solved the problem. He just didn't want to know the solution. He wanted how they solved it. And by going through that simple process, he would be able to assess somebody's problem-solving skills and judge them as to how well they would be able to solve Tesla's problems. I thought that was quite, quite clever on yeah. the part of Elon Musk. Now let's talk about, uh, here we go, tip of the week. Mm-hmm. This is an undo and a redo trick. Now, you know, many times you you've got uh, you might be working in a program and you make a mistake and you can undo undo it. And most programs have undo. Not all programs. I've been in some programs didn't have an undo. Uh, or, and then suppose that you undo something. You say, well, really, uh, I should have left it. And then you w- would like to go back and redo it. You'd like to undo the undo, a redo. And so, <laughs> is there? And some programs have an undo button, but not a redo button. Here is the tip of the week. There are keyboard controls that give you undo and redo. If you want to redo something, even if your program doesn't have it, you just click the control key and Y, control Y, and that's a redo. If you want to undo something and and you don't want to, and there's not an undo option in the program, you can hit control Z. So control Z on the keyboard in a Windows machine is undo, 
And control Y is redo. And so you don't have to have those functions actually in the program itself. And sometimes that may be quicker just to use those keyboard commands. So there is the tip of the week. AI, powered text, can fool government staffers. This, this was suggested by Bob in Maryland, by the way. Mm -hmm. In October of 2019, Idaho proposed changing its Medicaid program, and they needed some approval, and they needed feedback from the public. So they post, they solicited feedback on Medicaid.gov. Now, they got about 1,000 comments that came in about the changes. Half of them were actually from citizens, but the other half were fake. They had been created by a Harvard student, Max Weiss. He used the OpenAI language bot, GP2. That, by the way, OpenAI was one of the companies started, a nonprofit started by Elon Musk. And uh, GPT-2 is available for public use. GPT-3, the latest one, is only available to researchers now. So he used GPT-2. This is a, a language generating tool. And he generated, he trained it up, he trained it on uh, some other uh, comments that had been, that he could find on, um, on the Medicaid site. And after he trained it up and tweaked it, he let it generate 500 comments automatically with AI, and then he wrote another tool that would post these things automatically. So he posted 500 comments up there, and the people at Medicare, they, they could not detect what was real and what was fake. Now, as soon as he did it, he notified uh, Medicare that he had done this. He also ran a study, he took a, a group of people there at Harvard to see who could detect uh, the fake post and, uh, and, uh, or, and who could detect the real post, and it turned out they, 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 nobody could detect in his test group. They, they couldn't detect the face group at all. They just guessed, and they're you know 50% correct, and that's that's just guessing. So, and he put a special character in it so the people uh, in the government could actually easily locate the, the the fake ones. But what this shows us is a problem. This AI, these text generating AI tools, are going to make it increasingly difficult to, uh, you know, to, to manage blogs, to manage feedback, because you don't know what's real and what's not real. I mean, for instance, in 2017, researchers discovered that over a million comments were submitted to the Federal Communications Commission as it related to their rollback of the net neutrality rules. Over a million comments were fake. And this is going to be an increasingly bigger and bigger and bigger problem. Now, let's talk about Wall Street takes on Main Street takes on Wall Street. This is the big story this week. Yeah. There was an investor, Geith Gill. He's 34 years old. And he basically uh, he basically uh, contributes to a, to Reddit, which is a uh, which is a blog, which is a a website where you can put in comments, post comments and have discussions. And he belongs to the Wall Street Bets group. And so he was in there on Wall Street Bets. And it turns out that he's got thousands of fans who follow him. Now, his, I, I can't even read his, uh, his, uh, his, his name there on Reddit. It's deep effing value. Yeah. I can't, I can't actually read no, it. No, you can't. Total. I won't yeah. let you. Yeah. And so that's his, and his, uh, so he goes by deep effing value on Reddit. At home, uh, he says his daughter calls him Dada. That's safer. On YouTube, he's Roaring Kitty, and he's he's got tens of thousands of followers. Now, now previously he worked uh, he worked for Massachusetts Mutual Life. 
Now, what he did, there was a guy, uh, a short seller. Uh, there was a short seller who uh, Andrew left, and he has a blog, and and he was talking about all the uh, the, uh, the the companies that should be sh that that you should basically have a short sale on, where you you basically bet that the stock's going to go down. So one of them was Game Stock. They 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 sell games, and and another one was uh, AMC. Uh, they they own movie theaters, and so they so the short sellers had had gone for these things. So what he did, he went on here and he said, look, let's buy Game Stock and let's buy AMC, and they drove the prices up. I mean, uh, Game Stock went from eighteen dollars a share to three hundred and forty eight dollars a share in a few days because of all this demand from the Reddit people. And the Reddit people were making a killing. Well, it turned out that these short sellers, as soon as that stock went up, they were in trouble mm -hmm. because there was a margin call on them. They had to sell stocks that they were holding for the long haul to get enough money to cover their short-term losses. And these short sellers and these hedge fund traders, they thought they owned the market. They thought they controlled it. And here, this group of uh, individual investors, so social media, um, you know, encouragement, actually beat these short sellers at their own game. I mean, it turned out that uh, that uh, that the guy who started it, Keith Gill, he he ended up making uh, more than ten million dollars in a few days on the deal. So what has happened here is that. Uh, you now have individual day traders that, that can dominate the market. Now, they were all using a program called Robinhood. Robinhood is a, um, it's a, uh, it, it's a free trading app. You can download it on the web. So they were using Robinhood. And so they would go for, they, they talk on Reddit, then they go to Robinhood and they do the trades. And so there was this huge day trading activity. And so what, it, what is happening now Wall Street is trying to figure out how they can get this under control. But I love the story because Main Street beat Wall Street. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And check out our program at www.stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.